Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. This morning and, and next Sunday, I'll be um, preaching, and I just kind of wanted to set the stage and, and, and introduce some things and, and get us maybe a little bit hungry. I'm hoping that these next couple of messages were, uh, really whet your appetite for more of the Holy Spirit, for involving the Holy Spirit more in your life, for being more in tune and and plugged into the Holy Spirit, because that's really what it's about under the new covenant. That's really what Jesus came to make possible. And so if we kind of try and live this life on our own without plugging into what he made possible, then we're kind of missing out on a big chunk of what he came to establish for us, for his people. And and it's just the relationship that we have with God through the Holy Spirit is something so beautiful and so rich and and so enriching. And so I'm really hoping that God um, does the work that I can kind of get out of the way and and maybe God can speak through these messages to your heart and invite you a little bit closer to God than you maybe have ever been before because it's possible and it's real and it's beautiful. And I want you to experience all that God has for you. But this morning I, I thought about uh, you know, starting my message and, and talking about this thing. Um, and and the, the change that I want to talk about today, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that I want to talk about today, I, I got to looking for an example of it in the scripture, or rather an example of it in the scripture kind of popped out to me. Um, and, and the best way maybe to introduce this, or maybe, uh, you know, a way I thought to introduce this is, have you guys ever had your mom call your first name and your middle name when you did something? Anybody know exactly what I am talking about? When mom calls the first name and the middle name, it is on. Like, you better run, you better hide, you better go. If you were in my house, you better go to your bedroom and start putting on extra pairs of underwear. Like, you know, you come out and it's like you gained 10 pounds just around your rear end, you know, because you just... You're preparing because mom called the middle name, right? And, and you know this. And uh, Jason, I think, missed out on this because Jason actually doesn't have a middle name. You know, he was, uh, never mind. But anyway, so he didn't even have that. But I, I, there is this fear when, when mom and dad call the middle name. Or how many parents in the room, how many of you have ever used the middle name, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? You call out, like in my house, Caleb Joseph. And it's amazingly effective, right? Caleb Joseph. And, and he does, you know, he, he can tell me, well, what did I do? Like, he doesn't even know. Just all I did was call you by your first name and your middle name. But as soon as I said it, he knows that something's up. And now I'm going to give you a pro tip this morning for all the parents that are all the younger parents, Dustin, Stephanie, all, you know, all you guys, listen to me. When you call them by their first and middle name, Caleb Joseph, and they say, well, what do I do? This is what you say. You know what you did. Or, you know, maybe to put some variety in it, you say, don't make me say it, son. You know, just, you know exactly what you did. But for far too much, far more of my childhood than I am comfortable admitting, I heard ringing out in my house, Jared Enoch. Yeah. Yep. My middle name is Enoch. And for a long time in my life, I was embarrassed of my middle name until I realized that that does not reflect on me in any way at all. That's because of that guy. (laughs) I'm not the crazy one. He is. He tried to make Enoch my first name. 
You're like, <laughs> do you hear everybody say, aw? Like, yeah, that's the way I feel about it too, you know? But, but when I heard Enoch, I knew I'd been caught. And isn't that interesting, right? That it's not that I felt sorry over what I did. It's that I knew that I had been caught, right? Jared Enoch. And so Jared Enoch, and when that happened, I knew that little red belt was coming. Mom used a little red belt. You know, Mexican kids, they fear la chancla. But my mom, she was a gringa, you know, so she had the thin red leather belt. Or she would let dad get a hold of my hind end, and he had a belt that had two buckles. So it had two rolls of holes all the way around it, a big, thick, black leather belt. And those belts mysteriously disappeared at some point in our childhood, which didn't seem to help because they just found other things. But, but when kids do things that deserve the middle name, we wonder if they're ever going to grow out of it. And doesn't it feel that way as parents? It's like, man, are you ever going to stop doing this? This is like the 15th time I've had to call you by your first and middle name over this thing, and you keep doing it. And there is always this hope in the back of our mind as parents that one day my kids will be different than they are today. One day my kids will mature. One day my kids will grow up and I'll, I'll stop having to use their first name and their middle name and my parents have completely abandoned hope that that day is ever coming. But we do, we hope, we hope that at some point our kids will change. If there was only something we could give them to help them change. And we're trying to give them things like, like three, five times, right? You're trying to give them something and it doesn't always seem to work. Well, it turns out as I was thinking about all this that Jesus actually gave one of his disciples, now not a new you know, first name, but he gave him a new middle name. But the thing was, the middle name was supposed to be the better name, and he seemed to call him by his first name, the one that he had been born with, the one that he had come to follow Jesus with. Jesus seemed to call him by the first name whenever he did something wrong. And it turns out Jesus called this disciple of his by his first name quite a lot. And that first name was Peter. Or the first name, rather, was Simon. And, and the middle name that Jesus gave him was Peter. And so we read in the New Testament of Simon Peter, the disciple, the follower of Jesus. And there are four different lists of, of Jesus' 12 disciples. And it's interesting that Peter ends up as the first name in all four lists. Peter is the one who's most eager. He's He's most aggressive. He's most outspoken. He had this reputation of kind of revving his mouth while his brain was still in neutral. And that's amazing to me because all of these New Testament letters were written while Peter was still alive, and yet he never tries to defend himself. It's like Peter just admitted, yeah, that was me. I was that guy. I acted that way, and Jesus had to call me by both names like too many times to count. And Luke, who was this doctor turned journalist, he, he tells us that Peter enters the scene, he enters the story and the, and the pages of the Bible as Simon. But when Jesus meets him, it's interesting, Jesus immediately gives him another name, which is Peter. Now he didn't change his name, he just added Peter on to, what, to the Simon name that he had at he, at when he came to Jesus. And they hadn't even you know, spent a lot of time together yet, Jesus hadn't worked on him at all yet, but Jesus tacked on something new to what was old because Jesus seemed to see things in people a long time before they could see potential in themselves. Jesus was just kind of like that. And so he called Simon Peter. 
And Peter in the Greek, the, you know, the language that they spoke a lot of times in the language that the New Testament is written in, his name was Petros, which means a rock. And that became his nickname from then on. He was Simon Peter, the rock. He was the rock. He was the stable one. And he learned how to curl his eyebrow up like this. And he got really big muscles. And no, that's not him at all. But, but even though that, you know, he had this nickname that Jesus gave him as the rock or Peter, what's interesting is every time he got in trouble, Jesus called him Simon. And he left off the nickname. He left off the rock part. He left off that new part because Simon, Simon would end up doing all of these things that were very Simon-like. And he was brash and, and he was wishy-washy and back and forth and not really very dependable at all. He would make these huge promises and then it just seemed like almost all the time would, would fall through on the things that he had said. He would jump in with both feet, but before he ever touched the water, he'd be back out. I mean, he just always seemed to do this. And it seemed like Jesus was trying to tell him, listen, you're wishy-washy now, Simon, but I need you to become a rock. I need you to become stable and dependable and, and steady. But whenever he needed to correct him, he'd call him Simon. Or whenever he'd need to commend him, he'd add on Peter, Petros, the rock. And Jesus used these two names to, to kind of teach him and, and help him navigate to this idea or to rather the fullness of what Simon Peter should be and could be with Jesus finally taking complete control of his life. In fact, Luke tells us uh, about a time when Jesus wanted to teach Peter how to trust him. And Peter was a fisherman. Simon Peter was a fisherman before he started following Jesus. And he had come home from fishing all night on the lake. He's been awake all night fishing. And it wasn't like pleasure fishing. And it's not like some of you guys are like, that sounds great, you know, but no, it was, it was a job. It was work. And he had come home after all night fishing and, and they hadn't caught anything. And Jesus tells him, well, just turn around and put your nets down again right over there. And Simon Peter's looking at, you know, he's, he's a little skeptical. Here's a carpenter telling a fisherman how to fish, right? You build tables and I won't say anything and I'll go catch fish and you don't say anything. And you can kind of feel this in his response. In Luke 5, 5, Simon answers him, Master, we've, hard, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, oh, come on, somebody. You husbands know exactly what that sounds like right there. Because you say so, I will let down the nets, right? Notice Simon answered. Simon answered. Not Peter. Simon said, because you say so. And you can hear it in his words. But to his credit, he does it. And he goes back out and he puts the nets down where Jesus told him. And lo and behold, they get so many fish in their nets that their nets start to break. And now all of a sudden, Simon Peter, he's starting to believe. He, he turns and he signals for another boat. Hey, come and help us. And then when he gets to Jesus again, this is amazing. And Luke, he wrote this in verse five and calls him Simon. But in verse eight, just three verses later, look what Luke says. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Change, even within a few verses, doubting to suddenly becoming what Jesus had said that he should be and that he could be. And I think this is a redeeming quality of Peter that, yeah, he was really outspoken in his doubt, but when it came time for him to learn the lesson, he fell at Jesus's knees, complete and total humility. Okay, I was wrong, you were right. And what a beautiful quality that is to have 
when you find yourself around Jesus. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? We tried things our own way and didn't seem like we should trust God, but when we did, Lord, help me always to fall at your feet and call you Lord and, and ask you to excuse me for my doubt. But just about every time that Peter needed correction, needed a slap on the wrist or needed discipline, Jesus calls him Simon, calls him Simon. And it must have gotten to the point where every time Jesus said Simon, Peter probably cringed. Simon, Jared, Enoch. Simon, Peter, Simon, Peter, back and forth, in and out, up and down, wishy and washy, sometimes doing the right thing, but so often saying the wrong thing. Nobody else, no other disciple spoke as often as Peter, and no one is spoken to by Jesus as often as Peter. No other disciple is, frequently re- is as frequently rebuked by Jesus as Simon, but no other disciple ever tried to rebuke Jesus. He tried to rebuke Jesus. You can't rebuke the rebuker. No one else confessed Jesus as king more boldly and more beautifully than Simon Peter did, but no one else denied knowing Jesus as forcefully and as publicly as Simon Peter did. No one else is praised by Jesus like Peter was praised by Jesus, but to none of his other disciples did Jesus ever call them Satan. Wow. Praised him, called him Satan. Simon Peter, Jared Enoch, Jason, whatever, (laughs) Simon, Peter, Simon, needing so badly to become Petros, the rock, the steady one, the dependent. What's Jesus going to do with that, right? What do you do with someone who's undependable? Elbows in, hands down. How many of you know someone that's not dependable? Oh, shh. You must not be sitting right next to you this morning. I'd rather you just tell me no. Don't tell me yes and then not come through. And Jesus is about to blast off. He's about to leave his kingdom, his movement in the hands of these 12 men. And and Peter is the leader. Peter's the chief. Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 10, he was the protos, the chief, the leader of the other disciples. But he keeps acting like Satan sometimes. There's one night, or the night of Jesus' arrest. They're in the garden, and, and, and the soldiers come. The mob comes to arrest Jesus. And when Peter sees what's about to happen, Peter, like, whips out a sword, and everybody's looking at him like, you're, you're a fisherman. Where'd you get a sword? And he's like, I brought it in case this happened, you know, and swings at the guy that's right next to the priest, and thank goodness he's a fisherman and not a swordsman, and the guy ducks. Listen, he was trying to cut off the dude's head. Think of how differently the story of Jesus goes if, if just before his crucifixion, somebody gets beheaded who's trying to arrest him. The guy ducks and the sword takes off his ear. Jesus reaches down and picks up the guy's ear, ew, and puts it back on the guy's head and heals him. And he tells Peter, just put your sword away. That's not what it's about. And he rebukes him and he corrects him right in front of their supposed enemies and it's almost laughable and it's such a a disgrace and a dishonor to the Jesus movement and the Jesus uh, message and and everything that he seems to be about that Jesus is supposed to be the king of the world but he can't even get his guys he can't even get his main guy on the same page as him he can't even get his leader to follow his own orders and honestly what's Simon thinking 
He's going to behead them all like one by one. There's only 12 of them and there's a huge mob coming to arrest. What in the world does he think is going to happen? Down. But then there's other times when he's up. Like the night when he and the disciples were on the lake and they're, they're going across and Jesus had sent them ahead to the other side of the lake and a huge wind comes up and in the middle of the night, it's just before dawn, it's like 3 a.m., something like that and, and they're there in the boat and they're struggling to try and make the boat go across the lake and they look out across the lake and they see what looks like a ghost walking on the water towards them and they start crying out, it says. They start screaming. Like, I would probably start screaming if I saw a ghost walking towards the boat at 3 a.m. Like, come on, somebody. That's just not something you expect to see. Like, you're rubbing your eyes. You're pinching yourself. What did I eat last night? I knew 20 tamales was too much. Jesus tells him some version of, well, it's me, chillax. And Peter stands up. Right then, and he says, he says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. I question how good of a test this really was. Like if that was a monster, if that was a ghost, if that was something coming that wanted to eat Peter up, delivery is always more convenient than carry out. That thing would not you know, have not invited Peter to come out. What was Peter thinking? He's not thinking, just like he wasn't thinking in the garden. But he wasn't thinking, but it turns into something absolutely beautiful. And Matthew tells us that Jesus just says one word to Peter, come, come. And so Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. You can almost see him get that daredevil grin on his face. Boys, watch this. Get your iPhones out. This one's going to go viral. He steps out of the boat and starts walking on the water, and they're so dumbfounded they forget to take their iPhones out. And it's why we don't have video evidence of this today. And he walks towards Jesus, and it's, ep it's epic for a moment. But then he sees the wind, and then he was afraid, and then he begins to sink because that's what you're supposed to do when you're on water. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And man, I have heard messages criticizing Peter for this a lot of times, right? Peter took his eyes off of Jesus. Peter got his eyes on his circumstances instead of on his Savior. Aha! But man, before we criticize Peter, do we realize where he was when he started sinking? He was walking on water. After nothing more than one word from Jesus, Jesus, give me that kind of trust. Jesus, give me that kind of faith that I will follow you. I will come to you. Even and maybe especially when it doesn't make sense. So immediately Jesus reaches out and catches him by the hand and tells him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He doubted. He forgot who it was that had called him out of the boat. He stopped telling his heart that if Jesus had called him, if Jesus had called him, what was there that could overwhelm him? 
Jesus was already proving that he had power over the waves and over the wind. And so why in the world would he think that Jesus would not use that power to keep him afloat? He doubted Jesus's love for him. That's why Peter began to sink. He forgot that there are new possibilities and new realities that God had called him into. He had to remember who had called him out of that boat. Just like we have to remember who it is that has called us out of darkness and is leading us into a brand new existence. We have to remember who it is that is calling us out of our own abilities and into a supernatural existence with God. Purposes and words to be spoken and deeds to be done that we could never do on our own. Forgiveness that you are determined right now will never come from you. I am telling you that with Jesus, with Jesus, when he calls you out in the, into the stormiest parts of your life, out into the most broken and most chaotic parts of your life, you can trust his love for you and you can do the impossible, but not as Simon, as Peter. When Jesus calls you to a supernatural experience, why would you fear? If Jesus is the one that has called you, why would you fear? But Simon, Peter, up and down, in and out, up and then sinking again. And then Matthew tells us of what was probably Simon's greatest, deepest cutting failure. This is the one that sent him home. This is the one that made him unplug from following Jesus. This is the one that made him kind of walk away from his faith. And this is the one that he thought disqualified him from the Jesus movement. He certainly wasn't gonna be club president anymore after he experienced this greatest failure. His mouth had written a check that his courage did not seem able to cash. And again, it's their last night together and they're sharing the famous Lord's Supper and Jesus is giving them the new covenant and the new commandment and telling them about the new movement and all that. And things are good. They're in Jerusalem. They just rode into the streets, you know, and, and people are laying down palm branches and, and they're crying out Hosanna and the crowd is, is loving Jesus. And now they're together that night, Jesus and his closest disciples, those 12 men. And, and Jesus, you know, from a time when it seems like they should be celebrating, from a time when it seems like they're so close to Jesus actually being crowned as the king, Jesus starts talking again about how that he's gonna die and how all of them, are going to leave him and all of these 12 sitting around the table with him after all of the victory parades that they just had that day. You're all gonna leave me and you're all going to run away. And Simon, Simon can't just let that hang in the air. Simon is bold and Simon is loud. Simon is abrasive and Simon is overzealous and you can almost see him kind of licking his thumbs real quick and wiping away the crumbs and, and standing up and kind of, you know, clinking his knife against the glass to make sure that he has everyone's attention. And, and Simon says to Jesus, even if all fall away on account of you, Jesus, I never will. Even if all these cowards, Jesus, head for the hills, not this guy. What has two thumbs and is sticking by your side forever? This guy. I am with you. I am Peter. I am the rock. And you can smell what I am cooking. And it is a big old pot of courage. Some of you know what I'm talking about there. Jesus, these guys might be los pollos locos, pero no yo. I looked all that up on Google Translate to get you. 
You can almost see Jesus, just like my parents are doing right now. My dad's just, you know, shaking his head at what Peter is saying. You can almost see Jesus close his eyes and shake his head. And it's almost like he wants to say, well, speaking of chickens, Peter, let me say something to you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you are going to disown me three times. Ouch. Here's a guy that's trying to be brave, trying to be bold. And Jesus says, these other guys are going to run away from me once. You're going to run away from me three different times. So you'd think that Peter would just kind of bow his head and say, yes, Lord, I'm sorry. I spoke up. You know, I'll, I'll sit back down now. No, Peter doubles down on what he said. It's like he picks up his salad fork, bends it in half, because you only need one fork anyway. Just No, he's amped up. No, Jesus, Peter declares, even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I will never disown you. Wow, Peter, you must love Jesus more than anybody else. You're willing to give your all. You're willing to lay down your life. You're going to die for Jesus, and you'll never deny him. You'll never abandon him. That's right, because I am... Peter. I'm the rock. I'm team captain. I am the one who's in charge when Jesus isn't in charge. And if you know the story even a little bit, you know that Jesus was right and Peter was wrong. And Peter had to eat his words. (laughs) Isn't it funny? Peter had to eat crow three times before a chicken. Peter had to eat his own words. And in the garden, he had pulled out a sword and he had tried to behead a man. But in the courtyard where Jesus stood just inside in chains, a little girl looked at Peter and said, hey, you're one of Jesus' followers. And Peter said, no, I'm not. And he turned around and ran away from a little girl. The rock turned and ran away from a little girl. And he gets outside the gate to the courtyard and there's another little servant girl there and she sees Peter and Peter's wondering why are there so many servant girls in this story? And she sees Peter and she says, hey, you, you, I know you. You're one of Jesus' followers too. And he says, no, I'm not. And he runs away from a second little girl. And he's almost frantic at this point and we're kind of making fun, but do you feel the desperation In Peter, do you feel the embarrassment and the shame and his breath is starting to come maybe in in ragged gasps and his his eyes are a little bit wide and he's, he's starting to sweat a little bit and then it happens a third time. Somebody sees Peter and they say, I know you. You're one of those disciples of Jesus. And Peter, it says, he began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. He starts cursing and cussing. He calls down curses on the accusation. He's calling down curses on his association that they are trying to make, the link they are trying to make between him and Jesus. He is calling down curses on really the life and the fame and the reputation of his Lord and Savior, the one that had given him the name of Peter. He denied Jesus, and then he denied Jesus again, and now he's denied Jesus the third time. And immediately... A rooster crowed, and Peter probably froze. And Peter, his mouth probably dropped open, and he felt the flush of embarrassment rush to his cheeks, and the shame of his cowardice choked up his throat. He had promised to die for Jesus, but the big, bold rock is running away from two little girls in a question. 
And as Peter remembers the words of Jesus, he went outside and Peter wept bitterly. bitterly. And Jesus had told him, Jesus had told him, Simon, Simon. Notice the names that Jesus uses. Simon, Simon, Satan has desired you. He wants to sift you like wheat. And we don't get that because we don't farm wheat, but they take the wheat and they rub it together and they throw it up in the air. And it turns out that the kernel is, is wrapped up in all of this chaff, they call it, and all of these things that are external and extra. And when you throw it up into the air after it's been loosened and shaken a little bit, the wind comes and it drives away the chaff and only that little kernel is left. And Jesus is telling him, Satan is going to shake you up and rub you between his hands. And he's gonna throw you up in the air and see what you are really made of. Simon, 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 Simon. Peter, Simon, Peter. And on that night, Simon found out how little substance he actually had and how much was just empty noise wrapped around him. And then Jesus is executed. Simon's not around. Simon's wrecked. Simon's ruined. Simon has run away and he has gone home. He's not Simon Peter at this point because only Jesus called him Peter. He's Simon. He's Simon. But then Jesus is raised from the dead and maybe there's hope again. Uh, you know, there, there seems to be hope. When we read the stories, you know, they see the risen Jesus and, and may, it even looks like Simon Peter's faith is restored in Jesus. But even though Simon's faith in Jesus is restored, he doesn't seem to believe in himself anymore. And why would he? Come on, if you've ever you know, tried living for God and then fallen away or tried being a Christian and then walked away or had seasons of your life where you know that you have not lived worthy of the love and the grace and the mercy that you have received, you know exactly what he's feeling in those moments. Why would Jesus want anything to do with me? There's no way that Jesus would ever trust me again. I'm all talk and I'm, I'm no action. And when it's go time and, and crunch time, the rock ran away from two little girls and a question. And John, who's one of Simon's friends, he kind of picks up on Simon's self-doubt after the resurrection. And he tells us of a time after the resurrection when the, uh, a few of the disciples are together and, and, and they're there together. And, and, and Simon tells the other guys, hey, I'm going out to fish. And that's all he says. And there's no talk of Jesus. There's no talk of the risen savior that they have just witnessed. It's like Simon thinks that's great and everything, but I really don't know that it has anything more to do with me. There's, I'm going out to fish, you know, and, and it's just a strange dull thud of a statement and, and Jesus doesn't seem to be on the radar at all. And, and so they follow Simon out and what do you know, again, they spend all night fishing and they don't catch a thing. And they're on their way back the next morning and almost back to shore. And they don't recognize who it is, but they see a man standing there on the beach. And that's something that seems to be common to the risen Jesus. They don't always recognize who he was. And he calls out to them, hey, just throw your nets on the other side of the boat. Wait, that, that sounds familiar. I think I've heard that before. And John turns to Peter, to Simon, and he tells him, that's the Lord. That's Jesus. And then this, this weird thing happens when you read the story. It's in John chapter 21. Peter sees it and Peter remembers what he said. And Peter, he's so excited it seems. He, he just jumps into the lake and starts swimming for the shore. He doesn't even wait for them to turn the boat around. 
He doesn't wait for anything, and he heads to the shore where Jesus with where, where Jesus is. But then when he's with Jesus, it's like he turns all mopey again. It's like he got all excited because, yeah, that's really Jesus, but then he's with Jesus and nothing really happens. And Jesus cooks him up breakfast, fish, and, and all this on the fire, and they're eating together. And you read the story in John chapter 21. It doesn't feel like anyone's talking much. It's just weird. It's just quiet because they all know that they failed him and Simon is aware of it the most. And in John 26 and verse 15, or 21, I'm sorry, in verse 15, you'll have to check that reference. I may have gotten my numbers wrong. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, look what Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon. There it is again, right? That little dig. He doesn't use Peter. He uses Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these that are around the fire with you? See, Simon, I seem to remember a conversation that we had the last time we were eating together. You know, you remember that? We were gathered around and you said you'd never leave me even if all these pollos ran away. Now you're on the other side of your cursing. You're on the other side of denying me. Do you still think, Simon, that you love me more than these? Wow. That had to hurt. And here's the thing that really hurts about it. And we don't get this because when you translate this word love into English, there's only one English word for love, and it's love. But in the Greek language, there's actually a word that this word love comes from, and it's agape. And agape means a devoted love. It means that someone is your beloved. It means that you are sold out for the well-being of this person. It means that it's an unconditional, ever and always love. It's the love of Romeo and Juliet, but it doesn't just have a romantic aspect to it. It's an I'd rather die than be without you kind of love. It's the love, the agape love of God that took Jesus to the cross. And he asks him, Simon, do you agape me more than these? And Simon replies back in verse 15 and he says, yes, Lord, You know that I love you. But when he says love back, see in English it's just love, but in the Greek he says phileo. It's the prefix where we get for our city, Philadelphia. City of Philadelphia is called the city of what? City of brotherly love. It's a different kind of love. It's a friendship love. It's a, yeah, we'll link arm in arm, but I don't know if I'm gonna die for you. It's a friendship kind of love. Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I don't know if I can say that I agape you, Jesus, because you know what I did. But I can say that I phileo you, Jesus. I think you're great, and I think it's amazing that you rose from the dead, Jesus, but here in front of you again, here in front of these guys that know that I cursed you and I ran away from you. I, you know, especially after I said that I would die for you, I can't say that I agape you, Jesus. I used to be big, bold, loud, brazen, you know, Peter, but something has changed. And I realize my weakness and I realize my Simonness. And I don't think that I'm the guy that you need. And I don't think I can be the rock that you thought I could become, but you know that I phileo you. You know that I I love you well enough. But Jesus isn't satisfied with that. And so Jesus kind of pokes at it a little bit more. And again, Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, no Peter, 
Just Simon, son of John, do you agape me? He asks him the second time, do you agape me? Do you have that unconditional give your life for me kind of love? And Peter, the second time, says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Not agape, Jesus, but I'm really glad you're here. And then something happens. The third time, Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John. And this time, Jesus does something that breaks Simon's heart. He says, Simon, son of John, do you just phileo me? See, the third time, he didn't ask about agape. The third time, he said, do you phileo me? And Simon Peter has to be thinking, well, I get it. You're still calling me Simon. So that, you know, every time you call me Simon before, it's like you're calling my middle name. I get it. You're still calling me out for my weakness. You're still calling me out for my failure. But Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you phileo me? It wasn't, his feelings weren't hurt because he asked him three times, do you love me? His feelings were hurt because the first two times he asked him about agape, but the third time he came down to where Peter was. He has taken Peter back to the night when Peter insulted everyone else. He's taken Peter back to the night when he opened his mouth and filled it with his own pride because he was full of himself. He was full of his own pride and his own reputation and his own strength and his own ability. And Jesus was showing him, you're still Simon on your own. You're still weak on your own. You, you will still fail on your own. And all you had to offer me was a phileo kind of love. But you wanted everybody to think that you had an agape love for me. You wanted everybody to think that you were brave and you were gonna lay down your life to me. But now that I have brought you to a realization of who you are without me, you now see that you are just Simon without me. On your own, you are Simon and you will never be more than you can be under your own strength. But then Jesus says something so beautiful to Peter. Because Peter said, well, yes, Lord, you know that I just phileo you. And in verse 17, Jesus tells Peter, then feed my sheep. Wait, wait, you mean I'm not kicked out of the club? No, I need you to go feed the sheep. Wait, you mean that I'm not only still in the club, but that you actually want me to be in a position of leadership? Yes, go feed my sheep. But I I failed you. I can't say that I agape you. I can't say that I stuck by your side. I made all those claims, but then it never happened. And in spite of his rejection, and even though he had called down curses on the name of Jesus who was standing right in front of him, even though he had lied and and denied him and ran away and abandoned Jesus, Jesus is standing in front of Peter. And he's not just forgiving Peter for his wrong. He is calling Peter into another new reality. He is calling Peter into another impossible existence. It's not supposed to happen this way. When I fail God, that God elevates me, that God restores me, that God still has purpose and plans for my life. I thought I had to be perfect in order for that to happen. And Jesus is showing Peter and Jesus wants to show you. It's never been about you, Simon. It's about what I add to you. It's about what I give to you. You're not just Simon. Simon with me, but with me, you are Simon Peter, the rock, the rock. And Jesus takes a broken Peter, Simon, 
Jesus takes a broken Peter, a broken Simon to a prayer room just a few days later. Jesus takes this broken Simon Peter into an upper room and he fills him with the Holy Spirit. And he turns Simon into the rock that the church was built on. And he uses the words and the message of Peter to make him into the leader that the church needed to launch out into the world. And ever since the day that Peter, not Simon, ever since the day that Peter preached the first message in the church in Acts chapter two, the world has never been the same. My life has never been the same. Your life doesn't have to be the same. It doesn't have to be the same because of what Jesus wants to add to you. Because of what Jesus wants to pour into you because of what Jesus has planned all along to fill you up with until it bubbles over out of you, until it calls you into impossible realities and until it calls you into callings that you could never experience without him. Look what happens in Acts chapter two when the day of Pentecost came. They were all together, including Peter, in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. What in the world's going on? Everybody's getting a flame helmet. Like I'm really glad hairspray wasn't invented back then. It would have been all bad. Michael Jackson's Pepsi incident all over again. Just but there's all this flame going on and weird wind noises happening. What in the world? And it was weird, but it was about to get even weirder. And all of them were filled. Come on, somebody say filled. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, the wind from heaven, the presence of the risen Jesus, what we have felt in this place this morning, come on somebody, what we have felt so beautifully in this place this morning, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled him. And suddenly it was not something supernatural happening around him, but there was something supernatural that was flowing out from within them and it spilled out of their mouths and they couldn't control control or articulate their words anymore as God filled them with his spirit and began to add to them what they had never had before. It was changing them. It was changing them into their own version of Simon Peter. Simon Peter. It starts getting noisy. Of course, a crowd gathers around. You can, if you've ever been to any of these ancient cities, you know that like when it talks about a street, the streets sometimes are like five feet wide. It's all crowded in there. The the town is packed for all of the festivals. They were there for the festival of Pentecost. It's just crowded and people start to hear all these weird sounds going on and people hear the wind thing. Maybe they see this strange glow from the room and so a crowd starts gathering and the crowd doesn't understand it. And honestly, I don't even understand it. It's a God thing, I don't know. And we're gonna talk about it more next week. But here's what does make sense to me. When the crowd comes together, and they see what's going on. Some people are afraid. Some people were curious. And some people said they're drunk. 
That's what happened when this crowd first heard what had happened in the, New, in the New Testament church. These three responses have been around since the beginning of this whole speaking in another language thing that happened in the church. And it is strange. It's weird. It's different. It's definitely not like something I would have dreamed up. But I think for Peter... This was another walking on water kind of experience, right? And when Jesus calls you to something supernatural, there's no reason to fear it. If you trust the one that is calling you, why would you be afraid? Peter knows this. And the crowd outside doesn't know this, but the crowd's growing and they're wondering what's going on and people are getting restless and the disciples look around at each other and they wonder, who's gonna address them? Who's gonna speak up? Who's going to be the one that's bold enough, brave enough to go out there and open up their mouth and quiet down the crowd? Anybody want to guess who goes out to speak to the crowd? Then Peter stood up. Then the rock that Jesus had always told him he could be but he had never seemed to be able to be without Jesus. Suddenly with the spirit of God himself flowing in him, Peter stood up. I like that. Peter stood up. See, just a few days earlier, he was beaten down. Just a few days earlier, he couldn't even bring himself hardly to look Jesus in the eyes. But Jesus has addressed his Simonness. Jesus has addressed his failure. And now Jesus has filled him with the presence of the Holy Spirit and is leading him into a brand new reality. And Simon knows, I am not just forgiven. I am called. I'm not just supposed to stay in the boat. I'm supposed to get out and walk on the water. I'm not just supposed to do the things that I could always do on my own, but he is leading me into a brand new existence. And that's what God wants to do for each and every one of us. God has plans. God has dreams. God has designs on your life. You are not an accident. He has called you. He has called you. He has called you into a brand new existence, a brand new Reality. But you'll never get there on your own. You'll never experience it on your own. You'll never do everything that God wants to do in the world without you. God can only do some things in this world through you. And he has made it that way. He's planned for it to be that way. He has designed you for a role and a life that you will never accomplish without being full of his risen presence, of his Holy Spirit. And just like Peter, we have been called by Jesus into something beyond ourselves. And the power that comes to us and the experiences that come to us, the voice that we hear, although it may be strange to others, although it may be something foreign to us, it's nothing to fear when Jesus is the one that has called us. When Jesus is the one that's chosen us. And he's chosen you. He's chosen you. He's chosen you. Turn and tell somebody close to you. Come on, even if it's awkward, tell them he's called you and he's chosen you. He's called you. He's chosen you. And Peter gets up and he tells the crowd 
In so many words, Jesus' life was a God thing. In fact, Jesus' death, even though you guys are the ones that made it happen, his death was even a God thing. But then he was raised from the dead and that could only be a God thing. And now people, what you see going on and what you hear going on, you should not be surprised that this is a God thing as well. But God is calling you. And God knows that you didn't agape him. But if you can just show God a little phileo, that God will receive you in mercy and in kindness. And when the people heard Peter, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, and brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? And Peter tells them, repent. It's that simple. Say that you're sorry. Admit that you messed up. Do what I did and fall down at his feet and say, you know what, Jesus, I doubted you and I never should have. I was only thinking of what I could do and I never considered what you wanted to do with me or through me or for me. And I think Peter was so ready to tell them this because Peter had just been transformed by this truth. His life's been a mess. His following Jesus, his reputation, his career following Jesus, it was a wreck. It was an embarrassment. It was a shame. And yet from Jesus, he did not receive a shaming, but he received a glorification and a beautification of his life. He received a validation on his life. He received forgiveness for sins, yes. He he received a washing of his past, yes, but he, he also received the calling into a future that he never could have had on his own without Jesus. And so Peter is absolutely comfortable telling them, repent, place yourself at his mercy. Ask him for his grace. I did. I did. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Have your past washed away. And look at the words that Peter's using now. You'll have forgiveness of your sins. That's not words that you hear from the rock, from a big, bold, brawny man. Forgiveness, right? You will receive the gift of the Holy... You're talking about gifts now, Peter? Your language has changed. You're different than you used to be. And it's unusual and it was, it was strange. And for some of them, it might've even seemed scary, but Peter was wanting them to know you don't fear a gift from someone who is calling you into a beautiful reality behind, beyond yourself. And he goes on and he tells them, the promise is for you, promises for your children, for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And see, you know, when you, when you have life experiences, like all your life experiences from your past kind of inform them and they echo in your life experiences. I think Peter maybe remembered the time when he asked Jesus to call him out of the boat and onto the water. And Jesus is saying that same voice that called me out of my safety and into something supernatural is the same voice that you can trust this day for this experience. And I would say to you this morning, I know from my own experience, I can say like Peter that it's true that this promise is for you. This promise is for your kids, those beautiful little kids that you have to keep calling by their first and their middle name. It's for you. It's for them. That God has a brand new reality. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And 3,000 people.
people were added to the church that day because of one broken sinner who realized that he was weak and flawed without Jesus, but trusted in grace, trusted in mercy, and heard a voice call him into a reality he never would have had without Jesus. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.